just so you know, I don't wear the same thing every day. I just thought it'd be fun to wear the same thing for the video. It's very good to be here. It is an honor to be able to speak in front of you guys. And when Bernie first came up and introduced the idea of the soapbox, I just thought, man, you're taking a big step of faith. I think about a lot of crazy stuff. So, but don't worry. What I want to talk about tonight is actually something that's been on my heart for many, many years. It's part of who I am. And so when I was given the opportunity to speak, I thought, man, I really would love to speak on this. So I'm excited about that. Um, first of all, uh, a few weeks ago, I was online, as you are, checking Facebook. If you guys have heard of Facebook, it's pretty cool. It's the new thing. And I got this thing on my screen um, from my high school. I went to a high school called Clayton Valley. Our mascot was the Ugly Eagles, because eagles aren't intimidating enough. They also have to be ugly. So we were the Ugly Eagles. And I had this thing come in my mailbox saying that there was an event coming up. It was our 20-year reunion. So and just proof that I wasn't born with a beard, <laughs> That's me. 1998. We, so right now we're getting ready to celebrate our 20-year reunion, which is really exciting. And um, a few things came to mind when I was thinking about it. First of all, I thought, man, it'd be great to go. But it's in California, so I can't go. But then I started looking at a lot of the people that were also attached to the message. A lot of people that I went to high school with, people that I hadn't seen literally since graduation. And there was some nostalgia and looking at people's pictures and thinking, oh, it's great to see what's happened with them. Some of them have gotten married and have had kids. Some of them have moved away. Some of them haven't left at all. Some might be still living with their parents, but which is not a bad thing. That's okay. But there was a few other things that also struck me. And that was that there were a lot of them that weren't walking with Jesus anymore. Now, I didn't go to a Christian high school. I went to a public high school, and, um, which was great. But there were some people there that were people that were like iron sharpening iron, people that I walked with, shared life with, shared puberty, that season of puberty with. You know, the trying times, the real times. <laughs> soapbox. I'm on my soapbox. Um, but some of those people were also leaders, leaders in their churches, leaders in their youth groups. And as I thought about it, I started thinking about other people that I went to college with as well that were mentors to me, that through the magic of Facebook, you just click on their page and you can see some of them have grown very cynical. Some of them have walked away, not only walked away, but have gone the opposite direction. I just found myself grieving, having a heavy heart, just thinking, God, what happened to these people? What happened to these people that were so strong in their faith? And the more I thought about it and the more I prayed about it, I just started thinking, you know, for some people, walking with Jesus is just another step in life. Not kind of like dating somebody. You're in the relationship, you're attracted to the person at first, and then after a while, you start to notice it's not as easy as you thought it would be, loving this person. Maybe things weren't going the way you thought eventually, or you thought eventually it would get better, but it hasn't. And over time, you start thinking about, maybe there's something better out there, and so you walk away from that relationship. And I think some people look at walking with Jesus like that. It's just another thing you can do. But one of the things I was thinking about as I was praying about this and kind of grieving it, it's like, God, I know you've made me, you've made me for more than just a short-term relationship. I know you've made us for more than that. Instead of it being just a, a little trip, I believe walking with you is like an adventure. It's supposed to be a journey. And the word that kept coming to mind, and we've been talking about this actually in our, the missions group I work with, is, is the word odyssey. When you guys hear the word odyssey, what do you think of? What comes to mind? Mythology? You see Homer? I said homework. Adventures in Odyssey. 
Anything else? What other words come to mind? Hmm? Journey. Yeah, for me, that, those are the same things. It's this idea of a very meaningful journey, a very meaningful trip, a trip that you go on not knowing exactly where or when it's going to end, but knowing it's going somewhere good. Knowing it's something that's going to be exciting, it's going to be something that will help you kind of realize more about yourself, self-discovery. It'll have its exciting times, but it'll also have those really tough times where when you come out of it, you realize you learned something and you're better for it. This was the picture that kept coming to mind. I was like, God, I know that you've made us for more than this. Walking with you is not meant to be just this short little experience. It's supposed to change us. So tonight I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the odyssey of the Christ follower. The adventure of walking with Jesus for the rest of your life. I think it's wonderful when people come to Jesus. I love it when I see people say, I want to follow you, Jesus. But I got to be honest, I get pumped when I see people keep walking with Jesus. I get pumped when I see people's testimonies, the hard times, the good times, and through it all, they remain faithful. Not perfect, but faithful. And I know there's many of you in this room that are examples of that, that have been on that odyssey. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. You know, one of the things as I was thinking about this, there's another person who explained this very well, and that's C.S. Lewis. He was talking in his book, um, Surprised by Joy, which is a book talking about his conversion from atheism to Christianity, and uses an old German word that none of us ever use, Zainzucht. I swear, it's not a swear word. It is good, I promise. And this word means a desire to be, well, the way that C.S. Lewis interprets it, it's like a desire to be united with the beauty that we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become a part of it. It's very intimate. It's very powerful. And like I said, that's what I want to talk about tonight, is what does it mean to really follow God like that? And so we're going to be talking about Jeremiah, obviously. The prophet Jeremiah was a guy that we read about in the Old Testament. In fact, the book Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible. Use that in your trivia night. But Jeremiah is a great example of someone who started following God young and stayed faithful to the good and the difficult times and had an incredible impact on history because of it. So Jeremiah, if you have your Bibles, pull them out. We're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10, 17 through 19. If you've got your phones or your tablets, you can do that. If you've got the Bible memorized, you can just go back and rewind on that place. All right. So what I want to do tonight is look at this part of Jeremiah's life, his calling, when God calls him out. I want to look at three things that really stand out from that, but I want to spend the majority of the time looking at how that applies to us. Because I believe that the word of God is alive. Can I get an amen? The word of God is alive. Just like it says in Isaiah 55, just like the rain and the snow do not fall down without bringing life, the word of God, when it's spoken, brings about change as well. It does not return void. And I believe that tonight. So let's go. But before we do that, let's pray. Lord, I'm, I'm jazzed. For those of you, that means I'm excited. Lord, I'm excited because I love your word. And I love, Lord, being able to talk about what it means to follow you in all of its struggles and all of its celebrations. Lord, I love it. So, Father, I pray that you would use tonight um, as a night of revelation, Lord, a, a night where you show us more of who you are. Show us more of how you see us. Lord, I ask that we wouldn't leave here unchanged. Lord, whatever is from you, I pray that it would sink down deep. And whatever isn't, Lord, I pray that it would just 
fall off. But God, I pray that you would speak tonight to us. Thank you, Lord, that you're good. Amen. Well, first of all, who was Jeremiah? Jeremiah was a prophet. He was known as the weeping prophet. Not the coolest nickname, but he went through a lot in his ministry. Saw a lot, saw that God, saw God move powerfully in ways that was really challenging. God really called him to be faithful and to speak out some hard truths. And because of that, he saw some pretty sad things, but also some wonderful things happen. He ministered through the reigns of five different kings from 626 BC all the way to 586 BC for 40 years he was serving. One of the things I love about Jeremiah, as you look through his life, and we're not going to read the whole book, but you see a real person who said yes to God walking through their life and facing some really amazing and real things, struggles, and still coming out saying, yes, God, I still want to follow you. It's difficult, but I'm still going to follow you. I think this book really paints a really wonderful picture of what it means to be a human that says yes to God. So let's start with verse 1 or verse 4 of chapter 1. It says this, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Of course, Jeremiah responds, Alas, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak, for I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to, and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. Yeah, we got that. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Going on in verse 17, get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. <laughs> they will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. I, I love that last verse. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. I love this. It's such a beautiful and intimate picture of God speaking to Jeremiah. I think it's really, really powerful. So what I want to do is there's, there's three things that stand out immediately looking at this first interaction between God and Jeremiah. The first thing is... God knew Jeremiah. God knew Jeremiah. God begins his conversation by establishing his knowledge of him. I knew you not in your mother's womb. I knew you before your mother's womb. I knew you in the beginning. I knew you before your parents even met each other. I'm assuming that's where he would have gone. I know you. I just imagining, number one, it's God. The God of the universe speaking to a young guy and saying, I, I've known you forever. How would you respond? Well, Jeremiah doesn't believe God. <laughs> I think it's funny that his first response is, no, no, no. I know myself better than you do. You may have known me before I was cons consummated. 
not constipated, consummated. I kept saying that earlier. But don't worry, God, I know you more than I do. I'm just too young. You can't use me. I just think it's crazy that Jeremiah, his first response is to challenge God. The second thing we see is that God empowered Jeremiah. God empowered him. Jeremiah was not limited by his age. God wasn't impressed by Jeremiah's response nor his situation. God said, I will give you what you need. I know what you need. I think there's this picture. I, and I sometimes imagine like if it literally was like this, I don't know. But God literally putting his words in Jeremiah's mouth. There's something about that picture that is just so powerful. It's not God just saying, oh, don't worry. When you get out there, when you get out there and you talk to those people, trust me, on that day, the words will come. No, it's this thing of just between God and Jeremiah, I am going to give you my words. And when you speak them, things will happen. I will give you my words. God did what he said he would do. And as you read through Jeremiah, you see this happening again and again and again. God gives Jeremiah a word, he speaks it, and it's true. The third thing is that God promised to be with Jeremiah. God says, I know you. God says, I'm going to give you what you need. And not only that, I'm going to be with you in the things I've called you to do. God didn't only establish this, this really nice thing, almost like packing up a backpack and saying, hey, I know what you need. I've got all the right clothes sizes. I've got all the tools you're going to need. They're in this backpack. Go for it. I'll see you at the end. No, he said, I'm going to give you everything you need, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to make sure that my will is done. I'm going to go with you. I just think these three things are so powerful. And it'd be easy just to leave it at that. But I know, like I said before, that these words are for us as well. As I was thinking about this again, people that said they would follow Jesus, like Jeremiah here, saying, oh, yes, God, I'll follow you. People that even with that walked away, and I'm thinking, God, what does that mean for us? What is it like when you say these things to us? And so I want to look at those things. First, God knows us. God knows us. And I don't mean just in a physical way. I don't mean that he knows our, our strengths and our weaknesses physically or that he knows our strengths and our weaknesses with our giftings or the things we're good at. I believe that God knows our story, the deepest parts of who we are. I've been blessed to, to serve as a missionary for many years with Steiger International, and that's taken me to some incredible places. But one of the things that I experience time and time again is a sense of hopelessness. It's not unique to a certain country or a certain culture or a certain age. It's a feeling of hopelessness, of being alone, of no one understanding where I'm, what I'm going through in my time in life. No one understands what I think about or why I feel the way that I do. This is such a foundational thing. God knows me. He knows me. He didn't only make my form, he made my mind, he made my emotions, he knows who I am. There's nothing I can hide from him. Understanding that, I can move forward in the other things that we're going to talk about, but if I don't understand that, that God knows me, then it's just another idea. All the things you read in the Bible are just thoughts. But when we start to see this, this is a God that is in relationship with us. To build on that, build on this relationship that we're promised, that we're invited into, it's powerful. It's powerful. I was recently um, spending some time with our team and with this really wonderful man of God, and we are talking about some stuff, and he said this one thing that I found very profound. He says, sometimes we can get so familiar with God 
that we begin to finish his sentences. Sometimes we're just so used to maybe how God is or what he's done in the past or who he says he is that over time we start to kind of guess what he's going to say next. Or maybe we don't even think about what he's going to say. We don't even ask him. We just kind of assume we understand. And I think when it comes to God knowing us, that is a big thing. We can get so comfortable being followers of Christ that we forget to say, God, continue to tell me who I am. And before we know it, we've started to tell ourselves what we think God thinks of us. Because we're broken. We're not perfect. We need to constantly ask God, show me who I am. I don't want to assume that I know what you see when you see me. I really want to hear it from you. So first, God knows us. We have to start with that. He initiated it. God knows us. Second, God empowers us. You can ask Wendy, my wife. This is one of my favorite, favorite words. I love the word empower. We see a lot of disempowerment in our world, not just today, it's in our history as well, but God empowers us. God gives us what we need to, to be in relationship with him, to follow him, to be faithful. God gives it to us. He doesn't just say, I love you so much, I'm going to give you great words of wisdom that you can follow. He says, I will give you the tools, the ability to do it too. God empowers us. But I think much like Jeremiah, sometimes we think that we know better. And we think, no, God, I, mm. you're good. I get that, God, you're good. But there's other things as well that I think would be very helpful in me being faithful. There's many other things in life that I think would be helpful with me to really have joy. Having a tough day, God, I know that you love me, but there's some other things that help me feel loved. I'm also going to engage in those things. Sometimes when I think about this, there's a movie that comes to mind, and I apologize. Steve Martin. Who here knows Steve Martin? Thank you. There's a movie that came out back in 1979 called The Jerk. And there's the, it's the story about a guy, down and out kind of goofy fella. Steve Martin, only, I think, only plays goofy fellas. And he creates this invention. I'm not going to go into it, but it, it, it gathers steam and he becomes rich. But then one simple thing, all of a sudden he goes bankrupt. The scene I want to show, there's a clip where he is down in the dumps, He's realized he's made a big mistake, and he just doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what he needs. So bear with me, Steve Martin. Well, I'm gonna go then! And I don't need any of this! I don't need this stuff! And I don't need you! I don't need anything! Except this! And I tell you, that's the only thing I need is this! I don't need this or this! Just this ashtray! This paddle game. The ashtray and the paddle game, and that's all I need. And this remote control. The ashtray and the paddle game and the remote control, and that's all I need. And these matches. The ashtray and these matches and the remote control and the paddle ball. This lamp.
I know it's kind of a comical look and we can laugh at that, and yet I think it definitely speaks to a part of our humanity. We think we know what we need, and before we know it, there's something sitting on a table, something on the ground, and our pants are around our ankles. And it's like, we think we know what we need. And God tells us that's the thing, that's the crazy and wonderful, beautiful and frustrating thing, is that God says, I do know what you need, it's me. And from that, starting from that point, I know everything you need to help you live the, not only the fullest life, but the life that I've made for you. And yet sometimes, but God, I also need this. And before we know it, we're walking with our hands full of just junk, an ashtray and a paddleboard game. <laughs> but it's a good reflection. It's something to ask ourselves, is this me? Throughout scripture, we see Jesus point out this part of who we are and identify it and then solve it. I love how in John, there's a couple places. First in John, John chapter four, he's with the Samaritan woman and he is thirsty. He's at a well. She offers him water. He doesn't say, no, I don't need to drink water. He does need to drink water, but he takes the opportunity to share a bigger truth when he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In chapter 6, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he talks about how he is the bread of life. Whoever comes to him will never go hungry, and whoever believes in him will never be thirsty. This is beyond physical stuff. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, and further, they will have eternal life. Even in Jeremiah, we see a little bit later on in the book, in chapter 2, Jeremiah is warning people. God speaks to him and says, My people have committed two sins. He's talking to Judah at this point. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug for themselves their own cisterns or wells, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God knows us. He made us. He knows what we need, and he knows that we will try to find meaning in other places, but he reminds us, I am the source. I will empower you. I will give you what you need. And thirdly, another promise, God is with us. God is with us. God knows us, God empowers us, and God is with us. We are not alone in this journey. The picture of the Odyssey is not always a beautiful one. There are hard times, but like God said to Jeremiah, I will be with you, and he will be with us. In Jeremiah 6, um, God's talking through Jeremiah again. And he says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. God not only empowers them with what they need, but he also walks with them to show them the way. We don't have all the answers. We're made 
in his image. We're made to follow him, and yet we still need him, and he knows that, and he walks with us. As I was praying about it, and it's one of those things, it's one of those hard things where it's like, okay, God, do you have a word tonight? I'm willing to say whatever you want to say. And sometimes he answers. And tonight, one of the words that he gave me, and it's a hard one, is accountability. Accountability is one of the ways that God uses others to speak truth into our life as well. And I think it's one of the challenges for us as a body tonight is that we need each other. We live in a day and age where things are moving so fast and we've also become very dependent on communication that isn't interpersonal. It isn't face-to-face. There's actually a really interesting book that was suggested to me a while ago called Alone Together. I love that title. Alone Together. It's talking about how it's crazy that we live in an age right now where we can be with other people online and yet we're alone. Or we can be with other people in a room, but we're all on our phones alone. We have this idea of being together with people. We've got these friends, we've got these numbers, we've got these likes and hearts and thumbs up and all the other emoticons, and yet we're still alone. And that has an effect on us. God made us for community. And part of community is accountability. Speaking the truth in love. Iron sharpening iron, pointing out our blind spots. My pastor used to say that a lot back in Minnesota. We need people to point out the things we can't see. That's not easy. But God uses each, us to encourage one another and to build each other up. It's a lot to look at, but as I wrap up, the thing that I was thinking is that we need to say yes to the odyssey of following Christ. I know that in this room we have probably three different types of people, and again, I'm really simplifying it, but there's three types of people I've been thinking about for tonight. One, those of you that are new believers, new followers of Jesus, or maybe you're just thinking about it, you're exploring the idea. (sighs) Dig in. Dig in. For Jeremiah, it was intimidating in the beginning when God called him, when God spoke to him, all he could see was himself. All he could see was his own weaknesses. He could only see the things that he thought God wouldn't like or wouldn't trust or wouldn't allow him to do or be. Dig in. Say, God, take my mind off of myself. Take my eyes off of myself. I want to look to you. Show me how to live. The second group that I've been thinking about is there are some of us here that are in college right now or beginning university, and you're at an incredibly important season in your life. Experiencing new independence, experiencing decisions that you, th- you knew you'd be have to make at some point, but now you're there. And I think this is a wonderful season where the enemy loves to pull people away. You're asking yourself questions you never asked before. People are asking you questions they've never asked before. You're thinking about, what am I going to do with my future? What am I going to do with my life? And for those of you that are Christians that are in that season, there will be distractions. There will be things that will come that will want to distract you from what God is calling you to do. As I've traveled around, I've met many pastors that ask the same question over and over and over again. Noah, you work with young people, right? Yes. Why don't they come to church anymore? After they graduate from high school, they they, they leave. They don't come back until they have kids and they need something to do with their kids. They want to teach the kids about morals or something. That's when they start to come back. But what about that gap in between? Where did they go? What can we do? Is it the music? Is it too loud? Is it too quiet? Should I wear jeans? Should I wear a t-shirt when I preach? Will that get the kids back in? I've heard everything. 
It's an incredible season where God is saying, do not walk away. Trust me, I will give you what you need. I will direct you. I will be with you during these crazy seasons of figuring out what you want to do with the rest of your life. I made you for something incredible. Do not give up. And the last group I was thinking about are those of us that have been walking with the Lord for a long time, and for some of you, are older. People are watching you. You're being watched. Those that are young followers of Christ, those that have been that are younger and are walking with the Lord, they're wa- watching you to see, is it worth it? You got the young Jeremiah's looking at the older Jeremiah's. You know, God's called me, but I'm looking at you and... Is that what's going to happen to me? Beware of spiritual atrophy. You know what atrophy is? Not using your muscles, and all of a sudden they lose strength, and you can't use them anymore. If you're laying in a bed for too long, your muscles go into atrophy. Beware of spiritual atrophy. Continue going on the journey. Continue going on that journey, that journey of faith. doesn't matter how old you are or how old long you've been following Jesus, continue. Inspire the other people that are watching you. There's young people that are looking to see, is it worth it? I want to know. God is so good. Lord, I thank you for tonight, and I thank you for your word, because Lord, like I said before, your word does not go out. It isn't spoken without bringing change. And I pray tonight, Lord, for those of us that are desperately crying, God, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear you call me. God, I I want to know that you're going to take care of me, and I want to know if I'm really alone in this life. Father, I know that your word is true, and I thank you for Jeremiah and his story. God, we give you praise because you're good. We give you praise because your promises are real. Lord, I love the worship songs we're singing. Lord, I thank you that we are who you say we are. We are your children, and we are who you say we are. Lord, I pray that you would minister to us tonight. Lord, minister to our hearts. And God, I pray that you would call us ever forward onto the odyssey with you, ever forward in the adventure of journeying with you through life. Thank you, Lord. Amen.